Well, my name is Ron Cole. I'm one of the pastors here, and again, I'd like to welcome all of you here. And again, those of you who've been gone for the summer, welcome back. It's good to see uh, see some of you again. We're going to continue. We've been doing this this summer. We will be done by the end of this month. But we're going to continue to look at the book of Genesis, at the the story of Abraham. And the part he plays is the father of faith. And so uh, we're going to come back to that again. And actually, we're going to come back to a story we started two weeks ago. Uh, one of those really challenging stories, one of those really important stories in the Bible. But the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Whenever we have a story of God's judgment, it's, it's a challenge for us. It's, it's, I love to preach on grace. I love God's grace. But we also have to recognize there is also judgment in Scripture. And the, and the Sodom and Gomorrah story is one that tells us about judgment and, uh, and, and why God does that and how God does some of that and what, what our role is in, in trying to bring his grace. And so, again, I want to kind of remind you of the context of the story and how things fit together. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. But, but Genesis makes clear that God created all things good. When God created everything, it was just the way it was supposed to. Everything was working the way it was supposed to. But then through Adam and Eve and us somehow in them, sin entered the world. And we talked about sin as being like an infection, all right? Like a a bacteria that spread throughout the world and that that eats away at us, that destroys us. And and sin is there. And and God has every right at this point to say, I'm done with you, all right? I'm done with you, world. There's nothing that you have to offer me. You, You made your choice. I'll just let sin destroy you. But God doesn't do that. He ends up providing an antibiotic. His grace becomes the antibiotic. And ultimately, it's through his son, Jesus Christ, that God's grace comes to us. But in the meantime, Abraham is called, just like we are called, to be a carrier of God's grace, all right? And, and, and so when God is working through Abraham, we said what God is doing is he places Abraham here. And Abraham, through his children, through his wife, through his family, through his nephew Lot, through others, he's to bring the righteousness of God, the trust and the grace of God into this world. One of the things we said, though, is, is if we think about the world as being infected with sin, we said that sin is very grace-resistant, okay, like a, like a super bacteria. It's very grace-resistant, and, and there are times um, when we know judgment is going to come at the end, but we, we, we recognize it with Sodom and Gomorrah's story that there are times when the infection gets so bad, when the sin gets so bad that God decides he has to do a surgical removal. All right, that's, I think, the, the way to understand it is to say, just like you might, if your finger becomes so infected that you say, I've got to cut the tip of it off because I've got to stop the infection, so too God looks at his world, and there are some places, sometimes, where God says, you know, this is, this is time for a judgment here. And we talked about what that time is last time and, and, and what that means about that. And, and, and so we're going to pick up the story here. Again, let me just kind of remind you a little bit of what we talked about last time. Abraham is here in Hebron, all right? He's here in that place. He has three visitors come. He doesn't know, but we know that one is God and two are angels. They, they, uh, he provides hospitality. They tell him Sarah's going to have a baby boy within a year. And as they're leaving, Abraham walks with these three visitors, okay? They start to head towards the Dead Sea there. And it's on this route, it's, and we talked about this two weeks ago, that God says to Abram, i got to tell you something. Uh, Sodom is so wicked, and, and, and these areas are so against me. They are so resistant to my grace that I'm going to bring destruction on them. I'm going to bring judgment on them. And, and, and so God sends that word to, to Abraham. And Sodom, we said, is here. It might have been on the other end of the lake. We're not sure. But, but God says, I'm going to destroy Sodom. And so they get to this place, and then God sends the two angels um, on their way, and they go down to Sodom. And, and I think for us this morning, it's important for us to understand something. What they were doing on their way to Sodom was, first of all, the first thing they were going to do was on a, what we would call a reconnaissance mission. 
Okay, they were going to do recon. They were going to check things out. It's what an army does to find out what's going on in the place where the battle is going to be. What's going on in the enemy camp? You do reconnaissance. You, you go on a, on a recon mission. And that's what these angels were going to do. That's what they wanted to go to Sodom for. They were going to be God's eyes. You see, God had said to Abraham this. Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great, and their sin so grievous, that I will go down and see. God needs to see this with his own eyes or with the eyes of his angels through his, his, his representatives to see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. If it's not as bad, then I don't have to destroy him. Again, God's heart, God doesn't like to bring judgment. God doesn't like to bring that. God wants to bring grace. And so he wants to wait as long as he can. And so the angels are there. They go on this reconnaissance mission. And Abraham talks with God. We talked about that, that one of the problems is that Lot, and Abraham's nephew Lot, is in Sodom. And Abraham's kind of like, dude, what's going to happen with Lot? Uh, What about him? Is he going to get destroyed in here as well? And God says, look, if there are ten righteous people, It's only 10 people. If there are 10 righteous people in this city, then I'm not going to destroy it. That's where we ended two weeks ago. And now we pick it up with those angels coming into the city of Sodom. All right? The angels are coming into the city of Sodom. Again, they appear as men, though, to everybody else. The two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. Now, this is not the same as saying, and Lot just happened to be in the park. Or a lot was at the mall that they came through. No, to sit in the gate of the city meant something significant. To sit in the gate of the city meant that you were in a position of leadership. The elders sat in the gate of the city, partially to protect the city from people coming in and out, kind of check them out, partially to welcome people, but also it was in the gate of the city that you'd go if you had a problem. So Lot is not just an average citizen. Lot is respected. He's got a place where he's recognized as one of the elders in, in, in Sodom. There's a level of respect there. And so these two men come, these two angels come, and, and, and when, when, when Lot sees them, he responds the same way that Abraham did, um, his uncle did just a few days before. When he saw them, he got up to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. So he falls down and, 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 and he invites them into his home. My lords, he said, please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night and then go your way in the morning. Now, I don't know for sure, but I wonder if part of Lot's thinking here is he knows what happens in Sodom when the sun goes down, okay? He knows what happens in this area when when, when the sun goes down and how wicked it becomes and how unsafe it becomes. And so he might be kind of saying, look, I don't want you to get in trouble, so come stay at my house. And, And they initially answer, they say, no. They answered, we'll spend the night in the square. Again, they're doing recon. they got to see what's going on. But Lot persists. He pushes, he pushes, he pushes, he pushes. He said, no, you need to come, you need to come. But he insisted so strongly, verse 3, that they did go with him and entered his house. He prepared a meal for them, baking bread without yeast, and they ate. And then comes the verses we looked at last time. Okay, these are two of the verses we talked about. And trying to figure out what was so wrong in Sodom, we see an example of it here while these angels are visiting, while these men are visiting with, with Lot in his house. Before they'd gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. Now, I'm sure it wasn't 100%, but the great majority, they gather around the house, and and, and they called out to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. And and so right there, you see Sodom is this place where, where, again, this is homosexual rape. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago. It's not the only thing that was wrong in Sodom, but it is certainly an example of what was wrong. 
There were other sins. Adultery is mentioned in Ezekiel, Jeremiah. Not caring for poor people. There were other things. But this is certainly one of the examples of, of the violence of the society, of the damage that the society causes. To say, we want to come out here and, and we want you to send these guys out. We're going to show them what it's like to be in Sodom, all right? So we want to welcome them to the city. We want to have sex with them. Lot went outside to meet them and he shut the door. And he said, no, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. Now, two weeks ago, this is where I stopped, and some of you accused me of being a coward because you know the next verse. I want to say I am a coward, but I am going to deal with the next verse, all right? Because the next verse is indeed one of the most challenging verses in Scripture because what Lot does next is just, just mind-boggling, okay? And, and it's very difficult to understand. So this crowd is outside. They say to Lot, send these guys out. Lot steps out of the door, and he says, don't do this wicked thing. And then he says this shocking thing. He says, look. Here's the deal. I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. i got two daughters who are virgins. Let me bring them out to you, and you can do what you like with them. But don't do anything to these men, for they have come under the protection of my roof. And you stop and you say, excuse me? Excuse me? What in the world is going? Who in, in their right mind? What father? I mean, I can understand if Lot would say, kill me, don't get to them. I will protect them with my life. But for Lot to say, Here's my daughters. How about that? Is that an equal trade? If I let you have my daughters, you can do whatever you want with them. Can you imagine any father? Can you imagine any father saying, go ahead, take my daughters, rape them. These guys I just met 10 minutes ago, I want to protect them. It doesn't make sense. It boggles the mind. And so I want to take just a couple of minutes, and we could spend hours and not come to any better answers. But, But to ask, what is happening here? I mean, you might run into it where somebody challenges you and say, you see, that's, that Bible is just full of crazy stuff and it's all wrong. I, I want to tell you that, in my view, the best answer to the question of what is happening here is we don't know. Okay, there are some things in the scriptures that we just don't know. This is a story that comes to us from long ago and far away, all right? And, 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 and I don't know how to wrap my mind around it, okay? And so, at the end of the day, I can promise you this. God is against rape. He is against physical abuse of any kind, against... Uh, sexual abuse against women. God is against all of that stuff. This is not condoned by God at all, okay? And, 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 and so there are no great answers. There are some possibilities, okay? And I want to just throw some out just to give you an idea of how people have tried to struggle with this, really, at least for the last 2,000 years, if not even longer than that, but some possibilities of what might be going on here. The first one, probably the most common one that people point to, is just that Lot does a horrible thing, Okay? What happens here is Lot does a horrible thing. There is no explanation for evil. And a lot of times people would say, he's been in Sodom. He's been in this city for 20 years, and his moral compass has been so destroyed that he can no longer tell right from wrong, and he would rather give up his daughters. But I'll tell you that, I mean, you just think about that, and it just doesn't, I, I still can't imagine Lot being this, and especially in the light of what we read in the New Testament. We looked at this again two weeks ago, but in Second Peter 2, Look at how Peter talks about Lot. Look at what we read here. And if he, God, rescued Lot, and he did, a righteous man who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. So again, Peter wants us to know Lot didn't buy into everything. He didn't just do all of that. Lot was righteous. Now, it's possible that a righteous man did a horrible thing, okay? That's possible, but I I struggle with that. It's just kind of passing it off and saying, Lot did this horrible thing when Peter wants to call him righteous. Other people point to um, a couple of cultural things. One is that this indicates how horribly people treated women in that culture. 
fact of the matter is, women were not valued in that culture. Um, and, and so may, some people say, you know, in, in, in Lot's economy, protecting a male was more important than his daughters. I, I, I can't wrap my mind around that, any dad doing that. I, I just, I mean, I know they were not respected as much as they should have been, as much as we hopefully are today. But I tell you this, I, I, that doesn't, to me, kind of explain it all. I'm just saying, well, you just, you know, in that culture, that was fine. I, I don't know any culture where it's okay to let your daughters be raped. I just, that's hard for me just to do that. Another one, um, and, and this one is probably the, the second most common one I ran into. This indicates how important hospitality was in that culture. In other words, when, when you in that culture, hospitality was a huge value. So if I, if I invite you into my home, I now am obligated to protect you. And so some people will say, what happened here is that Lot invited these guys into his home. Now he is obligated. He is obligated to do everything and to, and, and to allow anything to happen. To, but he cannot. This becomes his highest priority, even at the expense of his daughters. It becomes his highest priority to, to, to respect and protect these men. And, and the text maybe suggests some of that. But don't do anything to these men, for they have come under the protection of my roof, right? I, I have to protect them. Again, I, I can understand hospitality. I can understand that, that they understood it more than we did, and, and it was more important. But I still, I, that doesn't to me, I say, oh, okay, Lot was fine. I, I'm sorry, I just, that doesn't do it. One of the things that I, I, probably the one that I like the most, I don't know if it's the most accurate, but John Walton, who's really smart, suggests that it's possible that what's going on here, and again, there's some challenges with it, but it's possible. One of the problems with email is so you don't get tone, right? You don't know what the tone is that somebody's saying something, but it's possible. Same thing with Scripture. It doesn't always say what it is, but that what Lot is doing is trying to really show these guys how horrible what they wanted to do was, and what he was doing was speaking sarcastically, okay? So what he would be saying is, excuse me, you want these guys, you want to rape these guys who are visitors to our, our town? You want to rape these guys who've done nothing wrong? Well, while you're at it, I got two daughters who are virgins. You want them too? Do you want to take, why don't you just take them? There you go. In the same way that if a bank is trying to take my house, I might say to them, oh, do you want the shirt off my back? Don't worry, I'm not going to take my shirt off. But do you want the shirt off my back? And how about my firstborn child, right? right? I mean, sarcastically, we say those kind of things. And it could be. And, and, I, and it, for me, at least, this allows me to wrap my head around it some. It could be that that's what Lot is doing. That, that what he's saying is, are you serious? Are, are you serious? Why don't you take my daughters too? This is a horrible thing. How can you guys even think about doing it? it, it like I say, there's some problems with that one. I like it because it, at least I can understand it some. But at the end of the day, at this point, the answer is we don't know. I pray that someday we'll figure something out that says, and, and I think, again, when, if somebody asks you about it, you just say, I, I don't know what's happening here, but I know this. Your sense of, ab, uh, uh, of abhorrence, if this is a genuine offer, is, is exactly right. If Lot did that, it was a horrible thing, and I think we just have to move on from there. So Lot throws this out, whatever it was he was intending to say. It doesn't quiet the crowd at all. Get out of our way, they replied. This fellow came here as a foreigner talking about Lot. And, and now he wants to play the judge. We'll treat you worse than them. All right? They kept bringing pressure on Lot and moving forward to break down the door. But the men inside, again the angels, the men inside reached out and pulled Lot back into the house, and they shut the door. Then they struck the men who were at the door of the house, young and old, with blindness, so that they could not find the door. So the angels pull Lot in, close the door, they strike this group with, with blindness, and the group disperses. Okay? 
So the end of that kind of scene there. And, and I want to suggest that what this means in terms of the story, reconnaissance is complete. The angels no longer have any question, all right? Sodom is as bad as God has heard, okay? And this, the fate of Sodom is sealed. And for the angels, this now becomes a destruction mission, but also when it comes to Lot, it becomes a rescue mission, okay? We change from reconnaissance. We change from finding out more information to say, Lot, you have got to get out of here, buddy. Because this place is going to go down, and you have got to leave, all right? That's what they say next. They turn to Lot. The two men said to Lot, do you have anyone else here? Sons-in-laws, sons or daughters, or anyone else in the city who belongs to you, get them out of here, because God's going to blast this thing, because we are going to destroy this place. The outcry of the Lord against its people is so great that he has sent, it to, sent us to destroy it. Lot, this has reached the tipping point. And it's going to happen, so you got to get out of here. So Lot goes to those who are engaged, calls them sons-in-law, but who are engaged to his daughters, okay? So Lot went out, spoke to his sons-in-law, who were pledged to marry his daughters. He said, hurry and get out of this place, because the Lord is about to destroy the city. And, and, and their response, I think, introduces us to the theme of the story this morning, okay? This is what chapter 19 is really all about. This is what we need to think about. We're going to see it here in two more times because they don't want to leave. His sons-in-law thought he was joking, thought he was being tactless, the word can also mean. And, and, and so I imagine them kind of saying, Lot, dude, you know, you've always been a little over the top with this God thing. You've always been a little focused. You've been a fundy, okay? You've always been a fundy, and we know fundies have, are just too committed and too excited. And so when you come, you say, oh, God's coming back. It's like that guy holding the end of the world is near sign. And they just say, this is crazy, Lot. It's not going to happen, okay? Sodom is our city. We were born here. We were raised here. And I know sometimes it goes over the top, but boys will be boys. God's never done anything before. It's not going to happen. You're you're joking, and you're kind of being kind of just, well, you know, I mean, if somebody at a party says the world's going to be destroyed tomorrow, you're like, don't ruin the party. Right? Don't talk about that. And so they, they say to Lot, we're not leaving this is our home. This is where we are. And, 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 and the theme then of, of, of this chapter, I think, becomes this, that it's really hard to leave Sodom behind. Or it's, excuse me, it's not easy to leave Sodom behind. It, it's really hard to leave Sodom behind. These two guys, I mean, Lot has been righteous. He's been respected in this city. He is going to be their father-in-law. But at the end of the day, when he says, we've got to get out of here, they say, no, I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving. And that becomes a problem for God's people from this moment on, all right? Because there is something inside each and every one of us. There is something inside each and every one of us that even though we know sin destroys us, even though we know sin is going to be judged, it is so attractive. And it's hard for us to leave that behind. It's hard for us to leave the old nature behind. Let's keep looking. Lot leaves their place. He doesn't, they don't come with him. He goes back to his home. And, and, and he obviously is telling his wife and his two daughters, we've got to pack. Lamont, pack light. Don't worry about it. But we've got to be ready to go. As soon as dawn comes, we've got to be ready to go. And apparently, that, whether it was Lot as well, but apparently they, they spent a little too much time packing, okay? They couldn't decide what to take. They couldn't decide. And the angels end up getting a little frustrated with them because they, they, they're taking too long. With the coming of dawn, verse 15, with the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, hurry, get going. Take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be slept away when the city is punished. Stop dawdling. 
But again, this is, you can just, it's hard to leave Sodom. This is where these girls have lived their whole lives. This is where their fiancés were. This is where their future was. This is, and it was fun. And, 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 they, and they struggle with leaving. And, and the angels say, you've got to hurry. And Lot doesn't know what to do. And he hesitates. And, and so the angels do the most gracious thing they can do. When he, Lot, hesitated, the men, the angels, grasped his hand in the hands of his wife and of his two daughters and led them safely out of the city. And when he hesitated, the men led them safely out of the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. By God's grace, God grabs them by the hand. The angels grab them, and they drag them, so to speak, out of that place. And once again, we see that it is so difficult to leave Sodom behind. It is so easy to to, to cling to it, to keep returning to it. It is not easy at all to walk away from Sodom. I mean, these are people, they've seen this crowd gather. These daughters, again, you'd think, everybody wants to leave Sodom. Their father just offered them. They're not sure they're not going to get raped. Anybody wants to say, we've got to go to a different place. Even with all of that, having seen the angels do a miracle and strike these uh, cloud with blindness, even the crowd with blindness, even with all of that, they still struggle to leave, and the angel has to take them by the hand. It's not easy to leave Sodom behind. Let's keep going. As soon as they had brought them out, the, one of them, one of the angels said, flee for your lives, don't look back, and don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains, or you will be swept away. Swept away. You've got to get out of here. Get out of Sodom. Get out of Dodge. Lot says, I, I got a problem. Lot said to them, no, my lords, please, your servant, I'm so thankful for what you've done, has found favor in your eyes, and you have shown great kindness to me in sparing my life. But I can't flee to the mountains. I don't know if it was too far. I don't know if he didn't have the strength to climb in the mountains or whatever. But I can't flee to the mountains. This disaster will overtake me, and I'll die he says, look, here's a town, a town near enough to run to, and it is small. Okay, it's just a, there's not as much infection in this city. There's not as much wickedness. It's small. Let me flee to it and, and spare it. It's very small, isn't it? Then my life will be spared. And the angel said to him, okay, very well. I will grant this request too. I will not overthrow the town you speak of, but flee there quickly because I cannot do anything until you reach it. That is why the town was called Zoar, just Real quick, Zoar meant small thing, right? Last is just a small little town. And so that became Zoar, small little town, small little place that, 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 that Lot and his wife and his daughters could find some protection. By the time Lot reached Zoar, the sun had risen over the land. It meant it was about noon, okay? So if they left at, at, at dawn when the sun was coming up, 6 a.m., six hours of travel, it's about noon now. The sun had risen over the land. Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Don't know exactly how that happened, what that means. It's interesting, in this area, there were some tar pits, um, which would have been very fire, uh, prone to fire. There were gases underneath the ground. could have been an earthquake, and God sent a bolt of lightning, but somehow the whole thing is obliterated. All right? It is just burned, and, and, and it is just where it's standing. It is just absolutely destroyed. But one thing again, I want to say this because we need to remind ourselves again and again and again that doing this breaks God's heart, okay? Sometimes I think we're like, oh, I'm so glad when they get it. I'm so glad that God brings judgment on them. They deserve this. You know what? Just like a surgeon hates to do a radical surgery and cut off the tip of your finger, so too God hates to do anything 
God hates to do anything that destroys his creation. It's necessary. Again, God, the final judgment is not something that God is looking forward to because he likes to destroy things. The final judgment is something God is looking forward to because he wants to get to that place where there's no more pain and no more death and no more infection and no more sin and all those things, okay? So let's recognize that judgment is necessary, but it's not something to be celebrated. It's not something to be enjoyed. It breaks God's heart. Thus he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, destroying all those living in the cities and also the vegetation in the land. And then these words, but Lot's wife looked back. And, and it's not... the the word there could mean just glanced over her shoulder. But in other places, it also means something stronger. And I suggest here it does, that it wasn't just she happened to glance back as she's running away and boom, she becomes a pillar of salt. But it actually can mean she turned back. And I think what it really means, and it it can mean this, is she went back. She just, she, she couldn't stay away. Knowing what she knew, hearing what she heard, seeing all of that, she went back and she became a pillar of salt. And so we see it leaving the, the sons-in-law. We see it second with just leaving the house that the angels had to grab him. And now with Lot's wife, it is not easy to leave Sodom behind. It is not easy, even if we know it's destroying us. It's not easy for us to leave our sin behind, even if we know it's going to be destroyed. We feel like it's the only way I can live. I need it. I need it. And this becomes a constant problem for God's people it becomes a constant problem throughout the rest of the Old Testament and throughout the New Testament that God pulls us out of sin. But you know what? We keep going back to it. We keep returning to it, even though we know it destroys us, even though we know it's killing our marriage or whatever it is. But we keep turning back to it. We keep turning back to it. Think about this. I, I mentioned this at the very beginning of the series. So if you remember this, you're amazing. But, but one of the things, these are the, the, the Genesis is one of the books of Moses, okay? So what, what is, I, I think this is really fascinating. So do stick with me on this. It's going to take a moment. But, but it's one of the books of Moses. And so we believe that what happened is Moses was telling these stories to the people of Israel while they're in the desert. Let me give you a map here. This is a promised land up here. That's where Abraham is. Sodom is there. That's where Lot was and that's being destroyed. Um, Abraham's uh, grandson is going to actually go down. Jacob is going to end up going down to Egypt, and he's going to be there, and then the people of Israel are going to become slaves in Egypt, all right? For 400 years, they're going to be slaves in Egypt, and life is really horrible. Their firstborn sons are all killed. Uh, Their sons are all killed at one point. They are made to work, unbelievable. Slavery is just horrible in Egypt. And so God hears their cries. He sends Moses, and Moses is going to take the people out of Israel. They go down to Mount Sinai. They get the Ten Commandments. They come back up, and, but they're not ready to go in the Promised Land. And so what happens is they wander around in the desert for 40 years. It's during that wandering that Moses is telling these stories, okay? Moses is telling them about Abraham. And I think one of the reasons this story is so important to them is because as crazy as it sounds... As crazy as it sounds, one of the biggest temptations of the people of Israel when they're in the desert, you know what it was? It was to go back to Egypt. They kept saying, man, can't we go back to Egypt? And somehow they had this crazy idea in their head, even though Egypt had killed them, even though Egypt had destroyed them, somehow they thought, if we go back this time, we'll handle it better. We won't become slaves. We'll be okay with it all. And they say, we want to go back to Egypt over and over and over again. And it's slavery, but that's our story. That's us. 
And, 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 and so when Abraham is telling the story, and I just, you know, i got to understand this. You know, I mean, Abraham, Moses, rather, is telling the story to the people of Israel. And he comes to this place, and he's saying, you know, the angel says, you know, flee from Sodom and do not look back. He's saying to the people of Israel, flee from Egypt and don't look back. And he's saying to us, flee from sin and don't look back. It is so hard for us to leave Egypt Sodom, sin. In fact, somebody once said, and I think this is a great, great image, that it was fairly easy for God to get Israel out of Egypt. What was really hard is for God to get Egypt out of Israel. It's, in one way, it's fairly simple for God to save me, to wash away my sins. The challenge is to get the sin out of my heart because it clings. Why is that? Two questions I want to ask and we'll close. But why is it, why is it so hard? to leave Egypt, Sodom behind, and sin behind, and then what do we do about it? Why is it so hard? Again, we could talk for a long time, but let's just be honest about a few things. Egypt, Sodom, sin, it just looks so good, okay? Let's be honest about this. I think sometimes we have this idea that as Christians we're supposed to say, oh, sin is always so gross and perverse. I'm just so disgusted by sin. I, I shared this at the first service. Those of you who are old enough to remember it, if you're part of the denomination we're a part of the Christian Reformed Church. Um, 50 years ago, 40 years ago, some of you will remember from churches growing up, when they would have communion, okay? This is what would happen, honestly, every time they had communion. The, the communion was real wine, okay? And so the, the pastor would say, you know, take, drink, remember, and believe. And so they'd take it and guaranteed at least 10 women in the congregation would go, oh, 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 because I've never had wine. Oh, 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 it's just, oh. These were women who could put it away with anybody. I mean, don't tell me that wasn't true. But they had to try to look holy and try to pretend that, oh, I would never imagine sin. Oh, I could never imagine sin. Friends, that's just a lie. It is so tempting because it looks so good. Who are we trying to kid? Let's be, I mean, unless we're honest about how good sin looks, we're never going to be able to overcome it. It, it. it promises to make us feel better. I mean, how often is it that we just feel like I have a long day? I deserve to get drunk tonight. I deserve to go to that internet site again. I deserve to buy myself something I don't need. I deserve to treat that person poorly because I got treated poorly. And it promises to make me feel better. I'll feel better about myself because I will lift myself above that other person. It promises to make us feel better. And it it promises there is no judgment. I mean, just like, uh, you know, Lot's sons-in-law, you know, come on, lie, you're crazy. You're not going to get caught. God's not going to do that. You can just confess it tomorrow. It's not going to do any damage. Nobody's going to know about it. It's not going to do anything. But friends, sin destroys us. It absolutely does destroy us. But again, part of the reason it's tempting is that it does feel good for a time. (laughs) Pastor George used to say, you know, the only thing worse than sinning is sinning and not enjoying it. I, I don't know if that's right, but the fact is sin, sin does feel good until the price tag comes, until the bill comes due. And that's why it is so hard to fight against it because we want a relief, we want a break, we want to feel better, and we get the short-term buzz again. Again, drinking whatever it is is such a good picture of it because we want that short-term buzz and we don't care about the consequences. So it looks, oops, hit the wrong one. Can you get me back in, Tom? I knew, you see me looking down some. All right, so the, you know, promises to make us feel better, promises, there we go, no judgment, 
Sin feels good for a time. All right, so that's the first one. Second one is, is this, we're so blind. We are so blind. Like, again, the, the, like the image of an alcoholic who, who, who claims that really the bottle's not doing anything bad to me, who keeps on drinking. We are so blind. I, I talk about this when, when I find somebody, and, and I hope others do this to me as well, when I, when I see somebody who's, who's living in sin, who's doing something that's clearly damaging to themselves, you know what I've learned over 25 years is my, my goal, my prayer, is to try to hold up a mirror, just to try to say, can you see what you're really doing? Can you take a look honestly about what's happening? Because we, the first one we lie to is ourselves, and we are so blind about what happens with sin, what happens in Egypt. Again, sin. Egypt wasn't that bad. Sodom wasn't that bad. We are so blind to the damage that's done. And, and, and then third, and, and this gets at the attitude of sin, and we just like to be in charge. We like to be in charge. I mean, sin says you are in charge. Sodom says you can get whatever you want here. You're free. You make your own choices. Egypt says, come on. We promise not to make you slaves. You get to be in charge. And we end up slaves. God says, I am in charge, but we end up free. And, and so there's just something inside of us, right? When somebody tells me this is what you have to do, I, I, I confess, my first thought is, no, it isn't. You can't tell me what to do. You're not the boss of me. And that's what sin is saying to God. You're not the boss of me. Sin is so attractive. The fact is, I think this story teaches us one really important lesson, and it's this. We can't or won't leave Sodom, Egypt, sin without God's help. Right? Think about this. Notice this. When he, Lot, hesitated, they grasped his hand and the hands of his wife and his two daughters and led them safely out of the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. By God's grace, they would not have left if they did not. And, and the same thing is true for me. Unless God works in my heart, Unless God is pulling me away, I cannot leave it. I need God's grace to give me the strength to walk away from it. So what do we do? The good news is I, uh, I had five things here, and I cut it down to two. Um, so just real quick, there, there's a lot we could say here, but two things I want to just suggest, and then we'll be done. One is ask God to show us where Sodom is still in our hearts. Because we are so blind, because we are so good at deceiving ourselves, because we are so good at saying this isn't hurting me or anybody else, Psalm 139, 23, and 24. Make it a part of your everyday prayer. This is part of why we confess sins here regularly at Hillside. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me, know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. God, you've got to search me because I'm going to fool myself. So God, show me where I'm playing games. Show me where I'm failing. Ask God to show us where Sodom is still in our hearts. And then the second one, and this is the one I want to end with, and, and this is so this is, this is really my, my heart, my desire, my prayer for the coming year as we kind of kick off a year here for all of our ministries, whether it's kids' ministries or adult ministries or outreach ministries, whatever it is, that what happens to us is that we deepen our heart and our love for God's kingdom. See, I think for a lot of us, when we, when we think about how we fight against sin, what we have to say is, I know I want that, but I, but I can't give in to my wants. I have to fight against my wants. I have to fight against my wants. And at one level, that's true. But I want to suggest that there's a better way. And it's not just fighting against my wants. It's, it's learning to want what God wants. It's learning to recognize that what God wants is not just to leave us in the desert. What God wants to do is take us to the promised land. What God wants to do is help us to create here in this place, in our community together, the kingdom of God, which is full of grace and full of love. And I think the best way to fight against Sodom is to have a better place to be going to. One of my favorite illustrations of this, I'm going to come back to it probably within six months. Um, so I'll get sermons coming up.
But Jason and the Argonauts, for those of you with kids, not the Octonauts, okay? This is Jason and the Argonauts. Uh, they found the Golden Fleece. In the Greek mythology, he goes, he finds the Golden Fleece, and he's coming back. And one of the biggest challenges that faces him is what is called the Island of the Sirens, okay? And, and the Sirens were beautiful mermaids who had beautiful voices, and they would sing this amazing song. And what would happen is the sailors would either just jump out of the ship because they were so tempted, they were so, and they'd die and pale themselves on the rock, or they'd steer the ship right into the rocks. And it happened over and over and over again. And, and, and Odysseus, um, he, he fought against it by putting wax in his ears of all the sailors that he had. Um, he tied himself up, but he, everybody else had wax in their ears. And that's kind of like saying, no, I'm not going to listen. I'm not going to listen. I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to look at it. I'm not going to buy anything. I'm not going to do that. And that's, that's sometimes a good thing to do. But what Jason did, what Jason did is he had Orpheus, who had the most beautiful voice, could play the lyre, play the guitar. And he had Orpheus start to sing. And as Orpheus sang, that song was more beautiful. That song was more beautiful than the song of the sirens. And they were able to say, let's keep going. And, and so they were able to defeat Sodom. They were able to stay away from the temptation because they listened to a more beautiful song. And that's what I say my prayer is. I mean, just think about what this would be if all of us as a community can learn over and over again in deeper ways that nothing compares to the beauty of God's kingdom. It is a place of grace where the truth is spoken in love. It is a place of acceptance. It is the kind of place we are trying to create here. It's the kind of community we are trying to create here. And if we can say, God, we want that so much. I mean, the songs that we were singing, you are my one desire. God, not because you don't like me to like anything else, but because you are so much better for me. God, there's nothing compares to the beauty that we have in the kingdom of God. And when I know that, then I can learn to say, why would I settle for Sodom? Why would I settle for Egypt? Why would I settle for slavery and sin? I want to go home to be in the kingdom of God. And so I just encourage you to make it a goal as your care circle, to make it a goal with the high school students, the middle school students, to just create in them a deeper hunger, a deeper want, a deeper hunger and joy for the beauty of God's kingdom. Nothing compares. Let's close in prayer. Father, search our hearts. If we're honest, we pretend to hate sin, but ah, it looks so good. As we struggle, it just feels easier to just take those shortcuts. So search us and know us and, and show us if there's any wickedness. But then even more, Father, give us that picture of Jesus and of your kingdom of the love you have for us and of your grace and of your truth and of your beauty. And Father, help us to start just getting tastes of that as we do baptisms, as we celebrate communion together, as we worship, as we sing. Give us more and more tastes of your kingdom so that we deepen our desire to know you and, and, and to walk with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.